Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. This is your weekly podcast, delivering you the insight, ideas and inspiration to successfully change and transform in our ever-evolving world of retail. Enjoy listening. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. My name is Oliver Banks, your host, and delighted and proud to be your guide, helping show you the way to successful retail transformation. Thank you for tuning in to episode 162, number 162. Now, if you are a regular listener to the podcast, then you will know that here on the Retail Transformation Show, we like to add in an element of fun or quirkiness, whether it's a lot of laughing or new or unusual perspectives to help you think differently about the challenge of transformation. So starting today, we have a new mini-series and it's called A Bunch of Bankses. The theme, if you haven't guessed from that title, is around special guests with an amazing surname, Banks. (laughs) So we're going to kick off our first episode with a Mr. Banks that actually helped to inspire this series. So I'm pleased to be joined by Paul Banks today. Paul Banks is a senior solutions consultant at the Modular Analytics Company, or TMAC, and previously has built up a wealth of experience at Lidl in the UK, with a particular focus, as you will hear through the conversation, on loss prevention. And coupled with all of those years of operations management around analytics and shrink and stock loss and so on, he's also worked for 10 years as a volunteer police officer. And so now he's keen to bring this interest in data and AI and machine learning along with his experience to help ultimately to transform retail. So Paul and I are going to be exploring the evolution of loss prevention. And he'll set the scene in a little moment. But if you want to check out the show notes page, then head over to obandco.uk slash 162, where you can find out a little bit more about Paul, as well as sign up for the Retail Transformation Briefing, the weekly email newsletter to help you keep your finger on the pulse of the changing and evolving world of retail with key retail headlines and specially curated insight to make sure you stay up to date and up to speed. So let's kick off this episode, the first of the Bunch of Bankses. Here is Paul Banks. So today I am very delighted to be welcoming Paul Banks to the Retail Transformation Show. Paul, how are you? I'm great. Thanks, Ollie. Great to be here. Thanks for having me along. Well, it's a pleasure to kick off the Bunch of Banks's little mini-series here with you today. And I suppose the first question, just to really get started, Paul, probably the most important question, actually, are we related? <laughs> I feel as if we are, Ollie. Um, I feel <laughs> as if we are, it, it may only be in theory as opposed to in person, but no, no family relation that I'm aware of, although there's, there's quite a lot of us out there. There are, and it's a pleasure to be talking to uh, such a knowledgeable and insightful Banks here on the show. I'll be the first person that's ever said that about me, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> always, always good to be a first. 
Managing stock loss and shrink though, Paul, is kind of what we're diving into today. And it's remained the focus for retail businesses that really want to keep control and manage their finances effectively. But when it comes to sort of managing stock loss and shrink, I'd really love to hear your views on the trends and how aspects like loss prevention have developed over time. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Ollie. I guess it's worth delving a little bit into how I got into loss prevention in the first place to, to frame that for everyone. So yeah, I've worked for a, for a well-known grocery retailer for 15 years or so. And during that time, I was quite privileged to have done a lot of different roles within the business. And one of those roles um, revolved heavily around loss prevention and, and internal theft and fraud prevention. And for a whole of my career, I've been very fascinated with why people do what they do. So not just sort of the end result of, of catching people stealing, but what led to the circumstances of them doing that. Mm. And so for me, like I'm, I'm, I'm quite a naturally curious person and, and obviously understanding from a business point of view, what can lead to somebody doing that is quite important because a lot of the cost of somebody stealing from the business is actually in terms of how much it costs to replace them and get the team back up to speed again. And, and the cost of staff attrition is huge for a business. Mm. So it's almost three quarters of the value of that project was 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 around how can we prevent this huge cost in terms of in, incorporating new people into the business and training them up and cut down all the uh, the uniform etc. Mm. Did that you know probably about seven or eight years for for that for that business and really enjoyed it. Really found it engaging. I think we moved from a point where we were actively going out and using data to try and understand where the theft was happening, who was who was responsible for it and prosecuting them or removing them from the business. But then also that kind of leads you to, well, if we can understand the data that indicates that behavior, is there a data that indicates that we're leading up to that behavior? So the whole sort of leading versus lagging measures, root causes and so on. Yeah, and, and and I mean, like, yeah, there, there was there was definitely a specific MO, um, which which I'll, I'll kind of not divulge into on here, but you know, there was definitely an MO for the people that were traditionally involved within that aspect of internal theft. Mm. But it generally resolved from them feeling that they were perhaps entitled to a little bit of something extra on their shift, or you know, they'd gone out of the way for the business and, and felt that they weren't being compensated for that, and so tried to compensate for themselves. Mm. And all of that leads to the point that kind of. I guess as I came out of that business and started speaking more widely with other retailers and and other industry experts, was that you know we we started many years ago with security guards who were expected to stand at the door and be very much reactive, deterrence, um, if you like. <laughs> and you know they've got a bad name as a result. Like they've got a, the, the 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 whole private security industry has like a fairly law opinion in my eyes from the majority of retailers, which is a shame because those guys are providing such an excellent, fabulous sort of role at the beginning of the store journey for a customer. They're the face of the business that they first meet and some businesses in specific go out of their way to, to ensure that their guards provide that service. Mm. But as time went on, like retail started to um, collect a lot of data and it's safe to say we went from a data desert to a data ocean very, very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and spluttering and uh, struggling to work out how to stay afloat in that ocean as well, right? Exactly that, exactly that, and how to use that data effectively. And some security guards and some businesses went on that journey quite well and, and sort of evolved into what we see today as loss prevention, you know, using that data to understand 
where the weaknesses are for the business, where the challenges are, and then how to plug those holes once once that we've we've understood where they are. Mm. And then on that journey, I kind of, as, as, as with my new role, is, is involved with data analytics, AI, and machine learning. And as I came to understand that side of things a bit better, then I understood that you know this, this natural progression that we're starting to see now where loss prevention is moving into profit protection, where you know those loss prevention teams are almost now expected to build a business case for why they're a profit center as opposed to just a cost center for the business mm. and elevate their own status, which is a brilliant, which is a brilliant move. And, you know, the more businesses that get involved in that, the more security guards, loss prevention officers, area managers get involved in that, that's going to move the industry forward massively um, because it's just raising the profile of people that are involved in that. Definitely. Let's, let's just break open that loss prevention versus profit protection role, I guess. What, what, what is the difference between preventing loss and making profit or protecting profit, I should say? So I think... Uh, if you speak to 10 different people, you'll get 10 different answers on that. Um, so I think <laughs> what, what I generally kind of consider to be a fairly safe definition is that people who are involved in loss prevention are purely just looking at how to raise the bottom line for a business. How can they stop that theft going out the door? How can they prevent losses, you know, hard measures, security tags, those sorts of things, as well as, you know, implementing things like behavioral design principles, you know, moving high value stuff to a place where people feel as though they're being watched, those sorts of things. Yep. Profit protection then takes that one step further and says, right, okay, um, so the impact of losing a shelf full of a particular line of stock on the bottom line of the businesses is huge. But on the flip side, it's also a cost and say we've got home delivery. You know, the, the customer system comes along to collect the stock. That stock's not there. That's a missed item. Now the mm. business incurs a charge of, do they either provide the next best item so a more luxurious item for the same price and they take the hit on that profit or um, do they not deliver that item to the customer and, and potentially damage their customer experience so understanding that principle then you can then apply that to the successes as well as um, where the failures have happened so you know if you've got a, a, a known loss that's fine it helps the business by knowing that you've got that loss because you can get your stock far right and, and obviously all the ghost finances that go with that mm. But then you've got the flip side that if you've done your job well and you've prevented that theft, then you can argue the case that, you know, not only have I kept this business in the stock, but you've also assisted with many other facets of the business, like the customer experience and the improved customer journey, the home delivery side of things, as well as maintaining an accurate stock record, which, you know, once the business starts to recognize the power of that, that is a much bigger multiplier for the business. So rather than being a, a cost to prevent a cost, which is what loss prevention technically is yep it now becomes a profit making partner combine that with harnessing things like heat maps from cctv and other data points that, that loss prevention teams are generally in charge of mm. and they can start to generate real revenue for other departments as well so like that that information if you use it wisely is really really valuable to marketing team and potentially external teams who you know partner with the business yeah and once you start to realize that, I mean, I jokingly said a couple of years ago that like, you know, loss prevention is the new marketing because they, they, they have at their hands possibly the greatest amount of data that anyone in retail has. Mm. And if they realize how to harness that and the business realizes how to harness that, then the power of that is really next level from where they are right now. Yeah, it's interesting. As you were talking a few minutes ago, quite early on, you're talking about the security guard being there at the front of the store. actually. 
in terms of understanding customers and customer sentiment and probably overall customer experience, they've probably got the best view, actually, ironically, yeah. but often would be a completely untapped source, certainly historically, in terms of, you know, how is that customer feeling? You know, if you say hello to everyone and goodbye to everyone, you get a pretty good measure whether are you <laughs> are you giving a good experience or actually is, is people, are people grumbling after they've been queuing for, for, for 10 minutes at checkout or whatever? It's like, oh, yeah. grumble, grumble. But actually, yeah, there's a huge amount of insight yeah. in that security guard traditionally, but now CCTV and like you suggest, all the data around heat maps and... What does that flow look like? What does the customer journey look like? What's what's busy? What's not? Etc. Really fascinating. Yeah, and I think I think security's probably been guilty of, and it's been driven by retailers potentially, like a race to the bottom in terms of who can charge the least amount for the security guards. Yeah. Well, actually, if you see what some of the more premium retailers are doing, and there's a, there's quite a few good examples of this where they actually pay for security guards that are better paid, who are of a higher caliber, or have been trained better, or more well developed and have more responsibilities within the business and are encouraged to have more responsibilities within the business, actually, they get quite a good public review from, from, the, from the customers of the shop as well. So it's like they're accepted as part of the team. And, and to your point, you know, they're, they're a good gauge for customer experience. You've got to leverage that. I think there's, there's another side to think about is that like not everybody gets data. And that's not a reflection of intelligence. That's, you know, that's the way people work. Some people just don't and will never get data. Some people um, intrinsically understand it without even trying. That's two ends of the spectrum. Mm. And I think it's fair to say that, you know, not everybody is capable of being profit protection or understanding that data to the point where they can use it for that level. But that shouldn't be used to sort of denigrate the guys who, who don't get it because they're just, they're valuable in a very different way to your point. You know, you look at the customer experience angle of things. That is a very important angle for any business and probably more so now than ever before. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Paul, I'm keen to uh, expand the conversation into sort of the wider retail ecosystem, shall we say, in terms of contact centers in particular. You know, you touched on data as, you know, a key leverage piece here. But just explain to us, how does the data that perhaps contact centers will be collecting? And, you know, again, another great and important touch point for customers, particularly if you're heavy in online deliveries or maybe online only, right? That, that's your only touch point, really. But how does profit protection and contact centers, how do they connect? So it's really interesting. So I've obviously spent the majority of my career in and around retail in, in various different functions. And predominantly now my, my career revolves around contact centers. And, and what I've learned as that time's gone in is that actually the two industries are very, very similar. Um, there's a lot of similar pain points. There's a lot of similar pressures. Everybody's time poor. There's a lot to be done. There's never enough staff to do it. You've got to manage the best you can. Coaching generally suffers as a result of that and, and, and all these things that just go round and round and round between the two industries. And yet I, I see very few people who, who hover between the two industries who actually understand that. You know, I, I've spoken with a couple of guys who, who work for one retailer where their loss prevention managers for their retail store are actually responsible for loss prevention within their contact centers as well. Wow, okay. And I don't know many contact centers that have a loss prevention manager as such. I mean, it, it's there. It's just, it's hidden in different metrics. You know, you talk about productive time, you talk about risk to employees, you talk about, you know, there's there's a lot of similarities between the two. Mm. And the more time I spent in it, you know, I could see that there was the disconnects between what was happening in the contact center what was happening in the warehouse and what was happening in the retail store. Mm. So you look at a refund, for example, you know, it's 
um, a, a customer's sent back a, a box that, that they say they've, they need a refund for, for a high value item, it gets back to the warehouse. If the tracking system for that's not connected to the contact center, those guys can't see it. Do they give the customer the benefit of the doubt or do they risk alienating that customer? Yep. And then if they do give the customer the benefit of the doubt and they prove to be wrong, they've got no leg to stand on because you know they can't be tracked back the other way. And there's lots of, you know, that, that communication's got to be really smooth between the two. But ultimately, the insights that you can get from the contact center, and, and, and a lot of retailers don't consider themselves as having a contact center. You know, it's it's, or it's our customer services team. It's, it's the same thing. It's however your customers contact you, yep. that's your contact center. The insight that you can get from conversations that your customers have with your customer services team, whatever that looks like, the insight that you can get from that's absolutely invaluable. And yet the majority of certainly smaller retailers still haven't managed to harness like really granular detail on that. So they'll have the top level. We know how many customers are contacting us. We know what their initial concern is about. Well, that's great. But what else was mentioned in that conversation that you could drive real value from? Mm. It's really interesting, actually, because we always talk about you know being close to customers and focused on customers, etc. But this is a great point of connecting to customers and really having a conversation, an open conversation, right? Yeah. Which we all know you can learn so much from. You may not be able to prove it in the data. The qualitative data is hugely rich in that respect with regard to complaints or patterns and all of that different aspect that you would get taking call after call after call or email, et cetera, whatever format that contact is. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, I think there's a million and one different ways that you can use that data. And generally, you're going to get that data from a speech analytics engine that, that sort of understands the words that have been said in those conversations and then can transcribe that down and categorize and segment it. And there's a couple of examples that I usually give that sort of drive that value home for people. And one's around mm. in a grocery supermarket world, you know, you've got one customer returns ear yogurt to a store. Yeah. And then complains to the customer service team or complains first and then returns it to the actual store on their advice. That one single complaint on its own probably wouldn't trigger anything for anyone. You know, we've had one faulty yogurt. You get two faulty yogurts and it goes to two separate advisors. Is there a quality issue? Those guys don't talk to each other on totally different teams, on different shifts, different parts of the country or different parts of the world. Mm. And it's only when you get to the point where you've maybe had 20 or 30 complaints that somebody talks to somebody else and says, do you know what? I think there might be a quality issue with these yogurts because I've had quite a few returned. Yep. And it's got to come up the Pareto of, you know, the biggest issues, right? Otherwise, yeah, it would just be forgotten about, I'm assuming. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So you're more or less relying on this haphazard communication for this to happen. When in actual fact, you know, if you could imagine a world where you could analyze any conversation that's been had in any of your contact centers and track keywords like faulty and return and a particular brand of product. And all of a sudden, all it takes is two or three of those examples before something gets pinged to somebody's email to say, actually, might be worth checking into this because there seems to be some sort of pattern building up here and, and maybe you could be a bit more proactive and take those products off sale. Yep. I mean, it's not something that the business is going to want to do, but ultimately it's something they'd have to do anyway. And you can provide brand damage limitation. You can, you know, improve that customer experience. You can, you can, by the time the customers are actually calling up, actually, yes, we already know about that. Mm. Sorry that you've had to experience it. That's a very different experience to, oh, well, we knew nothing about that. Thanks for telling me. Mm. It provides that good level of confidence for the retailer. And then I guess 
from a totally different perspective. You know, there's this big challenge right now around vulnerable customers. Mm. You know, vulnerable customers don't come on the phone and say, I'm vulnerable. Half of them don't even know that they're vulnerable. Nor do they want to be flagged as vulnerable customers. No, no, exactly, yeah. You've got elderly people and they might just, the only, the only indicator might be that they talk a bit slower. It might be that they've, you know, financially, they've just lost their job. Yep. And a lot of retail touches on that financial services side of things. You know, you get credit out when you're buying a product and what have you. Mm. So for me, you know, being able to build a, a, an AI model of what vulnerable customer might look like for your business and have that flagged every time a customer calls up that, that gave an indicator there might be a vulnerability there so that, you know, a team leader or a QA can kind of review whether that happened in the instance, whether they were given the right support by the agent and whether we've done the right thing by them as a business. And then even if the, even if that's not the case, retrospectively fix that in some way, shape or form. Mm. That for me is is hugely important. And I think gone are the days when that sort of technology is prohibitively expensive and, and unaffordable or accessible for businesses. Mm. It's coming to the point where it's, it's going to become in the next few years, it's going to be common nature that everybody has this technology and it's going to be about who got there first and how they can harness the power of that in a strategic way to support their store teams as well. You know, it's a fundamental piece to the operating model, right? In as much as you need the data to be able to drive the actions that ultimately deliver the results. Are you getting the data? Question one, right? Yes or no? Yeah. <laughs> and then it's then it comes down to getting good quality data, accurate data in a timely manner. You know, not making sure that you've got too many false negatives or false positives, for example. Making sure that you've you're being able to pick them up, assign them or group them in the right way, whatever that is. And it's almost to go along with a, an operating model that is made up of, of of processes. You need an operating model that is made up of data that says. What are we what are we gathering? How are we going to use it? And how is it then going to present itself to the operation? And what are the actions it's going to trigger? Yeah. And I, I think that's the beauty of it, is that once you get that data into a good shape, and, and it's and it's absolutely critical that, that you can't build a house on sandstone, right? You've, you've <laughs> got to have your foundations built first. You've got to understand your processes, your customer journey, and your data. But once you get to that point, you've got you've got that information there. Even though a lot of like things like speech analytics will look retrospectively at things that have already happened, you can now use that information to make proactive decisions. Yep, um, and you can use that. So instead of being you know proactively reactive, you know sort of getting ahead of the curve before it's actually happened. So this is this is a situation. It's happened. We've dealt with it. What were the indicators that led up to that, and can we spot that happening again in the future so we can nip it in the bud before it becomes an issue? Mm. And I think that is probably where you know the store of the futures are going to start to be led is that real proactive using all the sensors and data that we're collecting around the store. Can we identify when something critical is about to happen that we can either prevent or mitigate in some way? Absolutely, and just as you know, you have those security guards that are highly expert at what they do you know maybe they've got a great background and they can see some of the mo's for example of different individuals colleagues or customers before they go and commit an action it's essentially it's the same concept right you use the data what's going to happen what am i predicting and therefore what do i need to do before it happens it's uh digitalizing an older analog skill set shall we say (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, like to, to, to give you give you an example of how I, how we could foresee some of, some of that happening. Yeah. Like, again, going back to that yogurt example, you know, you've got you've got a situation where potentially there's been a decision made at a regional or a, or a national level to remove a particular line for safety figures. The impacts of that throughout the business are huge because you know you've you've then got to run on other products that you weren't expecting to run on. Then you have other availability issues. Then you have supplier issues. So the ability of a system at that point to say, okay, um, here's a trend. Do you want to take an action? And now, okay, on the back of that action, here's what I think as, a, as, a, as an AI system, knowing what people do in, in the past, here's what I think is going to be the outcome of that and, and the impact of it. And as a result, here's what the actions I think you should take. Mm. And that, that puts then the power of years of experience in the hands of somebody who doesn't really need to then be that experienced. They just need to know the processes and procedures of the business yeah. as to where it fits to that. So, you know, maybe that's ordering extra stock of the other lines in proactively. It's going to estimate that that's going to happen. So here are the lines that's going to be impacted. I'm going to provide more of them to each store. Here's an allocation raised for it. And on the back of that, I've also raised an allocation at the supplier on an emergency or requested it for the supply chain. Mm. The ability to do that would be phenomenal. Yeah, like you say, not everyone is data minded, but if you you understand, here's what it's telling me, and the you know the data nerds, so to speak, among us can uh, can do the hard work in the background. Then yeah, it's it, it will flow a whole lot more easily. It gets really quite exciting when you start thinking about the opportunities, about what this could do, and you know we talk about profit protection but actually there's a huge opportunity with profit generation as well in there right yeah and you can start to see how that traditional lp unit would become much more interlinked in the in the wider retail organization very exciting paul this has been a, a really fascinating conversation but i'm keen to ask you how can people find out more about some of the some of the aspects we've spoken about today and how can they get in touch with you as well yeah, I mean, the easiest way for people to get in touch with me is probably through LinkedIn. Anybody who's connected with me will know I'm, I'm there with my bright yellow um, profile background, so you'll <laughs> you'll definitely spot me amongst all the other thousands of Paul Bankses that I'm sure you'll come across. But yeah, um, tmac.ai is our website. Um, my email's paul.b at tmac.ai. Feel free to reach out to me, especially if you're from the retail or contact center environment. I'm always happy to network with people and have a chat. I meet many, many fascinating people in my journey as we do. Well, yourself being one of them, Oliver. Um, Definitely. So yeah, more than more than happy for uh, for people to check, reach out and uh, we'll grab a virtual coffee together as, as seems to be the case now. Super. That's fantastic. Paul, one final question that I would, would love to ask you. What is the security guard of the future, given all of this? What does that role look like? I think that the security guard of the future is actually probably much more invested in the customer experience and the customer journey through the store and, and, and actually is probably not titled the security guard anymore. You know, I think there's a whole piece around there around can you remove that authoritarian profile that they seem to carry and give them um, a much more customer-friendly, customer-focused role while still being able to, to carry out the elements of those duties that are still relevant. I think the days of people tussling with shoplifters in store entrance ways are pretty much gone um, for the majority of people now, especially on the back of COVID and, and concerns from that. Mm. So, I mean, that's that's my personal view. I mean, I'd like to see security guards almost elevated to a, a much more supportive role within the business. 
but that's, I mean, whether that happens or not, it's, it remains to be seen. But uh, I think there's a lot of guys out there doing a lot of good work just now who are certainly championing that that side of things from the industry and, and pushing that that role forward. So I'd like to see that continue. Ah, very interesting. Very interesting. And I'd love to ask you as well, listening, what are your thoughts? Who is going to be the security guard of the future? What does that role look like? Do reach out, get in contact with Paul and myself. We'd both love to hear, I'm sure. I will put Paul's contact details and his LinkedIn uh, link <laughs> on the show notes today. So do go over there and grab them if you uh, didn't take a note of them, as Paul mentioned. Paul Banks, thank you so much for joining me here on the Retail Transformation Show. It's been a real blast. Great to be here, Ollie. Thanks very much for inviting me on. There was my conversation with Paul Banks there. I do hope you enjoyed it. And like I mentioned right at the start, this is the first of the Bunch of Banks' series. So if you have not already done so, then please do hit the subscribe button in your usual podcast app. And you can check out new episodes released every single Monday. But if you can't wait to the next episode, then here are three episodes to dive into from the archives. Now, data was a key theme in this discussion. So in episode 124, I explored how to be a data-driven retailer with some of the critical elements that you must take on board. Next, check out episode 161, the previous episode, which was around forging a customer complaint strategy with the complaining cow, Helen Dudney. And she was exploring how to handle and resolve complaints better. And I'm sure you can imagine the opportunities of connecting that world with the world that Paul spoke about just today. And then finally, another big trend in retail at the moment is that of checkout free stores. And actually, the data that they produce can be hugely rich. So find out more about checkout free stores in episode 127, number 127 with Tiffany Lung. I will put all of those episode references on the show notes page today. So do head over to obandco.uk slash 162. That's obandco.uk slash 162. Thank you so much for listening. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can reach out oliver.banks at obandco.uk. Thanks so much. And I'll join you in another episode very soon. Bye for now.